My name is Mike Petro, and I'll be reading from Genesis 22, 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him and the heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering instead of his son Isaac. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church family. Always a joy to be with you. If you are new with us today, I don't normally stand here and preach the word. I actually normally do what Pastor Paul did this morning and lead us in worship. But this morning, Pastor David is out and I get to bring you the word of the Lord. And though it's Thanksgiving week, I'm not going to actually bring a Thanksgiving message. Um, But my family and I, we were talking yesterday about this whole week and I got really excited because I remembered this is the Saturday that we get to take down all the fall decorations and we get to put up all the Christmas decorations, the, the winter stuff, and just, just great memories with my family. Something I really enjoy doing with my family as well is reading. I love when we gather around the table or in the uh, living room, and we get to crack open a book and read it together. I just to, just to experience the joy of, of that story together. Some of my favorite stories are the ones where the author doesn't reveal all their cards. Meaning that there's things hidden throughout the book that only make sense once you get to the end. And they're like, oh, that's why that was there. And sometimes even then you've got to go reread the story, right? And then you start seeing things that you missed on the first pass. Why? Because you didn't know how it all turned out. Now, I call that great storytelling, but to be honest, God is the one who created that storytelling, not man, right? Think about the Bible for a moment. You, you read the Bible and you see these passages and as you read through them, 
You see things that, that, that God has to, to apply for us and that we should learn and they're right and good, but as you study it more, you start to see the things that, that are hidden, hidden in plain sight, but we didn't know because we didn't know the depths of the story. Does that make sense? This story that you just heard from Genesis 22, that is one of those stories, the story that we're going to look at today, this, this call to sacrifice that God has called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And so we're going we're gonna to walk through this passage together. And then after we do, I want us to look at three things. Three things that I believe that this passage is calling us to. So let's dive in. If you've got your Bible, I invite you to open to Genesis 22. We're going to spend the bulk of our time there. You can look on your, your phone, your device. Genesis 22, let's start with verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. To give us context, we have to stop right there and say, after what things? This goes back to uh, Genesis chapter 12. Pastor Dave hit on this a few weeks ago when he talked about God calling Abraham and saying, hey, I'm going to set you apart for my purposes and for my glory. But then if we jump ahead a few chapters to Genesis 15, uh, 17, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I am going to bless you. And more than that, I am going to bless the nations through your offspring. Now, the problem is Abraham had no children. And as you know, Sarah was barren. She could have no children. So Sarah, and of course, I'm going to paraphrase this. Sarah comes to Abraham and she says, hey, listen, I know that God has promised to bless uh, the nations through our child, but we don't have any. I can't give you any, so let's do this. Let's help God out. I'm going to give you my servant Hagar, and you have a child through her. That will be my child, and then God can bless the nations through that child. Of course, you know Abraham foolishly goes along with this idea, right? And thus the birth of Ishmael. Now, not surprising to us, Tensions grow between Sarah and Hagar, right? I mean, that's no, that should be of no surprise. So what happens? Well, eventually Hagar and Ishmael, they are both kicked out. They're both banished. They're sent away. So then, now we're back to square one. Abraham, Sarah, a promise, but no child. And, and, and so then God, being as faithful as he is, he, he comes to, to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm still going to bless you and the nations through your offspring. I'm still going to give you the child that I promised, but here's the deal. He's coming in, on my terms in my way. And so, of course, God being faithful to his word, we have the birth of Isaac. And that happens in Genesis 21. And so after all these things, we are now here in Genesis 22. By the way, all these things also helps us understand that some time has passed. We're not sure how much time exactly. Some say 18 years, some say up to 32 years. It doesn't matter. The point is that, that Isaac is no longer a baby, but he is now a, a young man, 18s, 20s. And, and Abraham's getting up in age as well. And so here we, here we are, and God says after these things, or the Bible says after these things, God tested Abraham. I'm not going to stop word for word, okay? But I need to stop again because the word tested here sometimes is translated as tempted, which I think is a very poor translation because the word actually means to test, to prove. Besides, we know from James that God tests or tempts no one to evil. 
But God does test his people, doesn't he? And the point of that test is to prove the depth of their trust and their obedience. And this is what Abraham is about to undergo, the testing of his faith. And remember, Abraham doesn't know this is a test, right? We know because the Bible has told us. Verse 2, here's, here's the test. He says to him, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. He says here, take your only son, but didn't Abraham have two sons? Ishmael, right? And Isaac. But remember by this point, Ishmael's been banished, right? He's no longer even counted part of the family. Not, not only that, the word only here, it can actually be translated as unique or special, which, which Isaac was. And there's this emphasis here on love. He says, take your only son, Isaac, whom you love. There was this, this, they cherished Isaac. There, there was this great bond between them. And now God's saying, take this child that I've given to you and sacrifice and offer him as a burnt offering. This was no small test, was it? Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 4 actually tells us that this is, takes him about a three days. It's a three-day journey there. And as I think about this story, I, I wonder what those three days were like for Abraham. He knows he's about to sacrifice Isaac. He, Isaac is as good as dead. So what are his thoughts? What are the conversations like? What are the emotions that are whirling inside of him? The weight of what was about to happen, it surely hung heavy on him. At the end of the three days, they stood at the bottom of the mountain, and God says in verses 5 and 6, he then Abraham, well, actually, then Abraham says to his young men, he says, stay here with the donkey, and, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the, the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. Abraham, Isaac, they're, they're taking this final steps up the mountain step by step together. Isaac is, did you notice that? He's carrying the very wood on which he's about to be sacrificed. Abraham has the knife and the fire. And then Isaac starts to look around. He starts to notice that something is, is missing. Something's not just quite right. Verse 7. Isaac says to his father, Abraham, my father... He said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That's a pretty fair question, wouldn't you agree? And how do you answer that as a father? How do you answer that? That you know that God has called you to sacrifice your son, that he's about to be the one placed on the altar, and he innocently says, hey, dad, where's the lamb? 
This had to be pretty heart-wrenching for Abraham. Of course, in verse 8, we see Abraham's response. He says, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. God will provide for himself the lamb. Abraham doesn't know what, what God's about to do. He doesn't know if, if he's going to have to sacrifice Isaac or if God will provide something else. But, but what he's doing, he, he is speaking out his trust in God. He's pressing on unwavering in his trust and his obedience to God. But it's here that the temple of the story begins to slow down. As we start to climb the mountain to the climax of the story. Remember in verse 4, we covered three days. And here the author slows the pace and starts to give us more details. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son. And he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. You notice there's no record here of Isaac resisting. At this point, remember, Isaac's between 18 and 30, uh, according to some estimates. That, that puts Abraham around 120, 130 as well. So, so Abraham does not have the physical strength to, to hold Isaac into place, does he? That means he, Isaac had to willingly and submissively submit to his father. That he had to be laid upon the altar, allowing his father to do so. What a great image of his obedience and trust, huh? And verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Imagine with me. Here, here, here on the wooden altar lies Abraham's only son. The son that he, he deeply cared for and loved and cherished. And yet, in obedience to God, Abraham stands over him. His, his hand ready to take the life of his innocent son. Offer him as a burnt offering. And guys, in Abraham's mind, the job is done. This not a time of hesitation. Isaac is as good as dead at this point. He has completed the act. Even though he hasn't brought the knife down, he's bringing it up. It, it is about to be done. It is about to be finished. But before that final blow, before Abraham could drive the knife into his son, verses 11 and 12, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. What a relief Abraham must have felt. Probably, probably the resolution deep inside that he was hoping for all along, right? And indeed, God did provide as he promised, verses 13 and 14. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorn, horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Abraham passed the test. He trusted, O oh God, he obeyed God. 
And in the next, next, next couple of verses, what's really cool is you see that God reaffirms his promise to Abraham, that he is going to, to bless the nations through his son, Isaac. And also, this happens to be the last place in the Bible that we have uh, recorded of God speaking to Abraham. What a great story, huh? You got great characters and, and, and this great tension and a climax and, and this, this wonderful resolution as you have all these plot twists going on. But of course, we know stories in the Bible don't exist for mere entertainment, do, do, do they? Uh, and yes, this story is true, but there is things, there are things for us to learn as we look at it. And so I want to look at three of those things. And some of them are going to be pretty straightforward. Some of those things are going to be hidden in plain sight. But the first one, it is straightforward. The first one is we have a call to trust. We have a call to trust. When I think of this, I think of Proverbs 3 and 5, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Abraham had a problem with this, didn't he? I don't mean here in chapter 22. I mean, think back over his, his life. And, and particularly when, when God says, hey, I'm going to bless the nations. And, and he and Sarah lean on their own understanding, and thus the birth of Ishmael. But something's changed for him between then and chapter 22. And, and, and I'm going to tell you what I believe it is. I believe it's him walking with God, seeing that the character of God and that he is true and faithful to his word. What does that mean? God had promised, I'm going to give you Isaac. And though Sarah at that point was 90, God still allowed her to have birth to this child. Though she was barren, God still blessed them. He, he is true and faithful to his word. And we know that he trusted him. Actually, it's in the scripture. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. The, the, the I and the boy doesn't only belong to will go over there. I and the boy actually belongs to come again to you. In other words, we could say we are going to go over here and worship together and we are going to come back. See, Abraham knew that he was not going to return alone. Or he believed it at least, right? And, and, and why do you think that? Well, I'm going to jump out of Genesis for a second to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He, Abraham, listen, considered that God was, even, was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham knew what God had promised concerning Isaac and that God would keep his word. So in his mind, he reasoned that even if he were to follow and obey and sacrifice Isaac, God would bring him back from the dead. So yeah, we can, we can say, hey, I wonder what those three days were like. We don't know. But we do know, even though there was three days of him walking Isaac to the mountain, he was trusting God. His mind was already settled that God would do what he said he would do. This leads me to a question for us. 
What areas in your life are you not trusting God? What things are you, you clinging not trusting God with? And even when I asked myself that this question, earlier in the week, I'd say, oh, I can think of one or two things. And man, as the week has gone on, I've seen more and more and more. Man, oh, I don't trust God in this, do I? And I don't trust God in this. And God has promised to us so much, hasn't he? He, he knows what we need even before we ask. He's with us. He will never forsake us. He, he's for us, not against us. He will teach us in the way we should go, that, that he is faithful and kind and compassionate towards his people, that his love for us is deep, it's genuine, and that what we go through is for his glory and for our good. And, and I can go on and on and on, but the Bible gives us promise after promise from God. They are real and they are for us. So what areas of your life are you not trusting him? Could it be finances? I, I mean, inflation is raising the price of everything, right? Electric bill's gone up, just got a thing from the water saying they're going to raise the prices. You're going to get, buy groceries, and it's like, how am I going to make it to the end of the month with the money that I have left over? If there is any money left over to buy gro more groceries. But, but the question is for us as Christians, what is our response to that? Do we become fearful? Do we start hoarding our money and say, I'm not going to spend it on anything? And I'm certainly not saying we become fearless and just spend it out. But what is our response? Do you trust that God will take care of you and provide for you, knowing that just recently San Diego was listed as the most expensive place in the United States to live? What about health? Many of us suffer from, from uh, chronic health issues. Do we trust that what we're walking through is God's perfect plan for us? That, that not only does it sanctify us, but it can be a ministry and a blessing to those around us. Maybe the health issues you're going through has nothing to do with you. Do you trust God's plans? What about family? As you seek to, to raise your children in the way of the Lord, and and. And as you want to guide them that way, are, are, are you trusting God with the results? As I thought about this week, one verse that came to mind was, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. <laughs> or fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Oh, but sometimes we want to lean on our understanding help God out, right? I mean, after all, our children need a little bit of our anger if they want to understand God, right? I don't think that lines up with Proverbs 3, 5, does it? For those of you who are married, do you trust God in your marriage? And here's, here's what, it's so funny when we get to this part. When we think about this, oftentimes when we ask God to, to help our marriage, what we're saying is, God, help them, please. Fix them, change them, right? Yeah, we laugh because it's true, huh? Do we trust God to do a work in our own heart? That as we have that log in our eye and we keep staring at the speck in their eye, he'd work in the heart and allow him to work in their lives. What if you're single? Do you trust that God is sufficient for you? What about work or the lack of work? Friends, circumstances. Guys, I can go on and on. You know that. And I, and I go on and still probably not hit something that, that you have an issue with. 
But are you trusting that God will provide for you, take care of you, and he would keep his promises to you? There's a name in this passage that I don't want us to miss. It's from um, verses 13 and 14 when, when Abraham says that God will provide the lamb. The name is this, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And before we start taking that name and claiming it over everything, which we have a tendency to do sometimes, listen, the Lord will provide for you, won't he? The Lord provides all we need. But think about this. The Lord provides all we need according to his plans. And not only that, the Lord provides all we need according to his plans in his timing. There are things that we think that we need and we don't. Why? Because they don't fit God's plans for us. But there are also things that we think that we need and we do, but God hasn't given them to us yet because it hasn't fit his timing for us. Think about the ram. God could provide the ram at any time, couldn't he have? But he waited for the, the right time. The perfect time. Do you trust God to take care of you and meet your needs according to his plan and his timing? He has, after all, provided for our greatest need, hasn't he? The forgiveness of sins and salvation. So does that trust extend to the everyday aspects of your life? The first call is a call to trust. Which leads, I think, naturally into the second call that we see here. And that is a call to obedience. A call to obedience. Abraham knew exactly what God had told him to do. Right? There was no question. He was to take his son and to sacrifice him. Look, look at verse 3 about Abraham's obedience. Look at this. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men. It goes on to say that he, he took the things that they needed. But here's, here's the part I want to point out to you. God calls and says, hey, Abraham, go sacrifice your son Isaac. What does Abraham do? The next morning he gets up and he obeys. There's, there's not a delay. There's not a hesitancy here. He heard the voice of God. He obeyed the voice of God. Now, I can hear some objection to this. Yes, but God spoke in an audible, clear voice to Abraham, and he knew exactly what was God was calling, me to, calling him to, but, but God hasn't spoken to me. I haven't heard his voice. So how do I know what he wants me to do? How am I going to obey him if I don't know what he's saying? Which, of course, we know the answer is what? That he has spoken to us, hasn't he? It's in his word. He's spoken to each and every one of us. His word that, 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 that comes to us, and, and here's what's really neat. We don't have to stand around and wait, wondering if God's ever going to speak to us. We can pick this thing up anytime, any day, any moment, and hear God's words to us. Then I can hear the objection. Yeah, but, well, let me just tell it this way. This is, this is a true story. There, there's a pastor I know of, one of his congregants came up to him. And he says, hey, pastor, I want to hear God speak to me. He says, you can. He says, great, great. How? He said, read the Bible. 
And, and the congregant was a little frustrated. He goes, no, you don't understand. I want to hear God speak to me audibly. To which the pastor says, you can. And, and the congregant got really excited. Okay, great. How do I do that? He says, read the Bible out loud. <laughs> but the truth is, this is how God speaks to us, isn't it? If you want to hear from God and know how to obey him, this is the point. We must be engaged in God's word. We must be engaged in God's word. It's part of the gather, grow, give, go here at Valley Center Community Church. We gather, and part of that gathering is not only to encourage one another, but to sit under the preaching of the word as you are now. But it's also the, the part of growing, where, where we, we look to grow spiritually in, in, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and the application of the word of God. And how do we do that? Well, it's through uh, the studying of God's word through the reading of it, through, through even memorizing his word, but it's also uh, growing in as we gather in connection groups and Bible studies. The point is, if you want to know how to obey God, you must be engaged in his word because it's how he speaks to us. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We must be engaged in God's word. This is not an option for the Christian. And I know, I know, I'm going to give one more object, objection. Yeah, but I know the principles that, that God gives us. Like there's, there's things that, you know, apical that I can take on the daily life, but, but what's his will for my life? Like what's the big picture? How do I know that? My oldest son, Caden, he graduated from high school this uh, past uh, spring. And being a part of that graduation was something really neat and uh, uh, something I really enjoyed doing. But as it, you watch him graduate, people come naturally to him and say, hey, what's next for you? Uh, what college are you going to go to? What career are you, you going to go into? Something you got to understand about Caden, he likes multiple things. And I could see him doing some of them. I could see him doing all of them. Maybe none of them, I don't know. But here's the deal. His mom and I sat with him. We said, hey, bud, listen. Don't, don't put this stress upon you. You don't have to have the, all the answers. Matter of fact, you don't have to have any of the answers. It's God's life for you. His plans. And here's what you do. You follow him taking it one step at a time, one day at a time. And this is the Christian life, that we follow Jesus one step at a time. Think about Abraham. He didn't go straight from Genesis 12, the call from God to, to follow him, to Genesis 22 and the sacrifice like that, did he? There's actually years that expand here. And during that time, as Abraham was following God, he's learning God's character, and he learns that God keeps his word and his promises. If you've been in the Christian faith, you know that to be true. You know as you walk with him, you start to learn more and more of him. You, learn to, you start to learn that he is true to his promises. But, but think about Matthew 16, 24. Look, look at this verse. I think I have it on there. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and what? Follow me. How do you follow somebody? It's one step at a time, isn't it? We follow him one step at a time, learning from them. And in this case, learning the God's character, that he's true to his word. 
One of the big problems, though, is that, that one of them is this. We think, here's something huge and big I want to do for God. We don't always ask God, though, right? But we dream big for God, don't we? And then we just want to jump over there, not realizing as we keep seeing these big things, it's actually through the everyday step that God is doing his work, isn't it? And if you're like me, though, I like to jump to the end. I want to know how it's all going to turn out, right? And so the other problem we have following God is is we want to know how it's all going to happen. We say, hey, God, where are we going? He says, wherever I lead you, follow me. What's going to happen when we get there? Well, however I ordain, follow me. As a dad of many kids, this question, hey, when are we going to get there? Are we there yet? (laughs) No, it's in my timing. Follow me. It's kind of like the the whole trust and obedience things go hand in hand, right? Obedience doesn't require us to know the whole game plan, and most of the time we don't even know it. But that's where our trust comes in. We follow God in obedience without knowing what's going to happen because we trust him. Matter of fact, this whole part, if you go back to the verse real quick. um, Take up your cross and follow me. This whole take up your cross really means to embrace God's will for you, no matter the cost. So as you follow him, no matter the cost, we follow him. Does our faith allow for that kind of trust and obedience? That we will follow and obey him no matter the cost? Giving up those things that you hold so close to your heart. David Livingston said a quote, well, he didn't say it a couple weeks ago. I read it a couple weeks ago. That'd be hard for him since he died in 1873. But I read a quote of his a few weeks ago. Think about this. He said, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, if you've been asked by an earthly king to do something, it'd be considered honor. How can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Think about it. Now, I know the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be living sacrifice, but there's a heart issue here. Do you see it? Hey, I've been asked to the, by this king or this leader or this person to do this. This is a great honor. God's called us to go here, and I, I'm going to because I want to obey God. Man, I have to give up this and do this. Both require sacrifice. It's a heart issue. And when God has called us and given us instruction, it should be our joy to obey our king. Take up your cross and follow me. Practically, guys, this is this. Wherever God has you at this moment, this day, in your life, this week, you're walking with God, obeying him. As you parent, as you are with your children, as you are with family and friends, as you are working, you are living to God's glory. This is what obedience to God looks like. It's a step-by-step process. As we learn to trust and obey him, we must be engaged in his word and we must follow him a step at a time. By the way, a quick question before I move on. How do we know if what God is calling us to do is the testing of our faith? Well, the news is we don't. Neither did Abraham. But as Abraham walked by faith and not by sight, know this. Remember this verse from 1 Peter. That we walk in the way Abraham did. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 6-7. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you are being tested, which you don't know, the goal of it is that your faith would be tested to be proven genuine, right? And this would be to, to the praise and the glory and the honor of our Savior. And it says, in this, you should rejoice. So regardless of it's attesting your faith or not, we trust God, we obey God. Of course, we don't do this perfectly, do we? We still doubt. We still disobey. So I'm grateful for the next call that I see here in this passage, and that is a call to grace. A call to grace. Where do we see this? Well, Think about, well, first at verse 10, Abraham has his, has his knife. He's, he's ready to, 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 to drive through Isaac. And in verse 11, the angel comes and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. And that's when Abraham looks up and he sees a ram. And that ram is sacrificed instead of Isaac. What a beautiful picture of grace. But do you notice here that, that Abraham said that God would provide a what? A lamb, Right? When Isaac looks up, he sees a ram. And you can say, well, that's just an age difference. I think it's important to realize and understand what's going on here. Why, why a ram and not a lamb? I, I, because I believe Abraham, whether he knew it or not, was pointing down the future to the true sacrifice that would come one day, to the true lamb. The final lamb, the lamb that John would say, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The lamb, who of course we know is Jesus, whose story is, when we go back and look, is woven throughout the fabric of Isaac's story. What do I mean? Think about this for a moment. First, even this. Isaac was the promised son to Abraham and Sarah, wasn't he? That the nations would be blessed through him. Jesus was the promised one through whom the nations are blessed. Isaac, he was, he was the only son cherished and loved by his father, whereas Jesus, he is the true only son of the heavenly father, cherished and loved by him. In Genesis 22, Isaac was innocent. He was bringing, bought, brought to this place of sacrifice for nothing of his own. Jesus was always truly innocent. No, no hint of sin in his life ever. Isaac was to be offered up as a burnt offering. Jesus, too, he, he was the true burnt offering. The Bible calls him a fragrant offering. Isaac, he carried the wood on which he was to be sacrificed. Just as Jesus carried his wooden cross upon his back. Isaac would climb the mount to the altar as Jesus would climb the hill of Calvary. Isaac was submissive to his father as he was being bound and sacrificed. Jesus submissive to the heavenly father saying, not my will, but yours be done. Isaac was silent as he laid upon the altar. Jesus silently laid down his life. But here's where the similarities begin to differ. Isaac, he didn't know what was coming to him, did he? Remember, he said, where is the lamb? He was in the dark about what was about to happen. Jesus knew exactly the cost. Jesus knew exactly what was about to take place. And yet he still went to the cross. 
Isaac discovered the joy of, of his life being spared as a ram took his place. For Jesus, there, there was no substitute. His life was not spared. He became the final substitute, the final sacrifice. At the right time, Jesus became the final lamb that was slain. Isaac, he was considered dead for three days, wasn't he? As they made that trek, of course, Jesus was dead for three days. Hebrews tells us that Isaac was figuratively raised from the dead, but praise God, Jesus, Jesus was raised from the dead. He is alive and he is reigning today. And it is through him, not Isaac, it's through Jesus that we have the forgiveness of sins, that we have salvation, that we get to experience the grace of God. And as I think about this grace, I think about this trust and obedience. Consider this right here. We get to experience God's grace because Jesus trusted and obeyed the Heavenly Father perfectly. We get to experience God's grace because Jesus trusted and obeyed the Heavenly Father perfectly. Jesus came to the earth to do the will of his Father, and that, that will, is to, will is to save the people from their sins. It says that the Bible tells us that Jesus obeyed his Father so well, even to the point of death on the cross. Think about it. Abraham is not our example of trust and obedience, is he? Neither is Isaac. It is, it is Jesus. He is the one that we follow. Ultimately, the story of Isaac points us to none other than Jesus Christ. Some might say, are you stretching that a little? Well, let's look at Luke 24 real quick. Jesus' own words. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe of all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? At the beginning with, with Moses and, and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures a thing concerning himself. Listen, the story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. The story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. The people, the places, the things, the sum of it all points to Jesus. His story, his glory. And as you read the Bible and you, and you study it more and more, you begin to see it through it all. That his story is hidden in plain sight. The story is the story of Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's, it's grace. And this grace is so good, it's not just for the offspring of Isaac, is it? It's for the outsiders, the outcast, the unlovable, the unclean. It's even offered to the offspring of Ishmael. Ishmael's, I mean, Isaac's banished brother. It's truly for the nations, for all people. What a glorious grace. The same grace that, that comes to you and to me. And it doesn't only bring salvation, right? But it enables us to do the things we talked about, to, be, to trust and obey God. For those of you here today who have not experienced that grace, I encourage you to look because there is one that has been sacrificed so that you can't, could, can. And here's, here's the truth for you. If you never turn to Christ, on the final day of judgment, there will be no substitute for you. There will be no sacrifice for you. But you will pay for eternity. For those of you who are in Christ, 
Rejoice. Rejoice in the grace that you have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And, in, and, and, and rejoice that in loving him, encourage one another as we seek to trust and obey him in our lives. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that we have heard. Lord, forgive us in the times that we have not obeyed you, when we have not trusted you, but thank you for the grace that comes to us through Christ. And thank you that by your spirit we are empowered to live these things out. So let us not hold our heads down, but let us look to Christ and follow him every step of the way, knowing this is all for his glory and for our good. We thank you. We love you. In the name of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.